Vítám tebe i posluchačky a posluchače Urbanu... <laughs> Urbanu Arrow, ne. <laughs> dneska to není Urban Arrow, dneska je to jiný Urban. A v kterou pokračuji, to nebudeme stříhat. Já si myslím, že speciální epizoda, kterou jsme speciální se pro dneska nachystali, zasluhuje speciální úvod. To je pravda. Uh, takže ne, Urban Arrow, ale bude to taková šipka možná do budoucnosti. <laughs> Takový okřídlený šíp, které by Česko mohl posunout do aktuálního století. Já teď nemluvím o tvé skoro domovské fabrice. <laughs> jo, jo, no tak ti, kdo, ti, kdo se ještě nestratí, a poslouchají nás, tak vás vítáme u další epizody podcastu Urbancast, který se věnuje moderní městské mobilitě už od roku 2020. No a ta dnešní epizoda bude opravdu speciální a z mnoha důvodů. Speciál... No, Roman by byl opět nevědět, jak je jeho dobrým zvykem poslední dobou. <laughs> občas si odskočí do jiného podcastu. My dneska pustíme rozhovor s někým, koho považuji za velmi důležitého a velmi inspirativního pro všechny starostky a starosty tady napříč Českou republikou a také pro všechny posluchačky a posluchače. Je to rozhovor s ministriní mobility celého regionu Brusel, Elke van den Brandt, mladá dáma, mladší než já, která dělá ministriní mobility, což bych tak přirovnal jako, nevím, no tak minister, minister dopravy pro vlastně nejdůležitější region v Belgii. Jo, a tahle dáma je pro mě inspirativní a proto taky budeme pouštět ten rozhovor tady dneska z několika důvodů. A ty jsou, dokáže komunikovat jasnou vizi, dokáže ji vytvořit vlastně toho, jak ta mobilita má vypadat, že nemá vypadat mobilita v Bruselu stejně jako ve 20. století, ale že už žijeme 21. století. Že ty trable, které, se kterými se potýkají lidé v Bruselu, tak je potřeba řešit a ne jenom konzervovat jako někdo dochází zároveň do parlamentu, do nemocnice, občas zabloudí i na magistrát. A vůbec nevím, mluvíš. Vůbec, vůbec ne, podle mě ten člověk to taky vůbec nemůže vědět, že se mluví o něm. Tak tahle dáma dokáže tu vizi sformovat se svým týmem, dokáže ji dobře komunikovat, dokáže ji politicky prosadit. A hlavně ji má, což jsem Hlavně ji má, hlavně má. Jo. Takže LK Vandenbrand, jinak tenhle rozhovor vznikl díky tomu, že mě můj dávný známý Michael Dunn, američan, který léta působil v jihovýchodní Asii, má svůj podcast který se jmenuje Driving with Dan, alias jízda, jízda s Danem. A je hodně automobilový, což jenom zase teď by mohla prasknout žilka někomu, kdo by říkal ten Urbancast a ten Jakob s tím Romanem, oni tam furt brojí proti těm autům. Ne? Znova říkáme, že auta tam, kde to má smysl a po městě možná má smysl i jinak, než jenom autem. No a Michael, Michael mě poprosil právě, jestli bych s ním dvě epizody jeho podcastu neudělal. Jeden byl obecně o mikromobilitě. Odkaz na to dáme do popisku dnešního podcastu. A ten druhý právě, jestli bych nepomohl udělat rozhovor s někým z těch vizionářských starostek, jako je například Anne Hidalgo v Paříži nebo Ada Kola v Barceloně. No a já jsem nakonec vybral právě Elke van den Brandt, protože ji považuji za takovou vycházející hvězdu té municipalitní politiky. O Paříži se, se mluví pořád, o úspěchu a nejdalgo taky tak a vůbec jí to nesnižuje. Ale Elke v mých očích byla tak trochu jako ve stínu a přitom to, co dokázala v tak rozdrobené metropoli vlastně i z pohledu jako řízení té metropole, že dokázala mimo jiné třeba 30 kilometrů plošně v, v Bruselu prosadit jako rychlost. Dokázala prosadit masivní výstavbu cyklostezek 
a obecně podporu cyklodopravy, tak dokázala vlastně sjednotit na ty jednotlivé rozdrobené městské části. Jo? A tak to byl jeden z důvodů, proč jsem vybral. Ten rozhovor poběží tak, jak běžel, to znamená v angličtině. A my s Jakubem pevně věříme, že naše posluchačky a posluchači, řada z vás zkrátka s tou angličtinou každodenně pracuje a ten rozhovor je tak silný a inspirativní, že věříme, že jako speciální epizoda je tam na správném místě Furmancastu. Takže tady je Michael Dunn, Elke van den Brandt a Roma Meliška. Hello and welcome to the Driving with Dunn podcast. I am Michael Dunn, your host. Now, when you think about the finest cities in the world, where does your mind travel? I don't know about you, but for me, it goes immediately to Europe. Yes. Where else do you find such a rich concentration of elegance, history, beauty, and exquisite architecture? Arguably, the only blemish on European cities is congestion. Too many cars navigating too few roads, and they're narrow too, right? You see those cars parked up on the sidewalks here and there. So what's the solution? No, no, not bigger roads. The answer is smarter cities, ones that are built to be more human-centric and less car-centric. Today's special guest is Elke Vandenbrandt, Minister of Mobility for the city of Brussels. Elke and other highly impressive women politicians in Europe are reimagining the ideal city, one that includes cars but is not dominated by them. Also joining this episode is my wingman from Prague, Mr. Roman Malishka. He's an expert on urban mobility. Let's find out what the world can learn from the urban revolutions taking place right now in Paris, Copenhagen, and Brussels with our special guest, Elke Vandenbrandt, here on the Driving With Done podcast. Elke from Brussels, Belgium, welcome to the Driving With Done podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Elke, how did you get elected to become Minister of Mobility for the city of Brussels. Well, if you know Brussels, we're famous for a lot of things like chocolate and manneke pis and all things we're very proud of, but we're also famous for traffic jam, air pollution, uh, traffic casualties, so we have a bad reputation on that side. And um, during the campaign before the elections, we um, I'm, I'm from the Green Party, and, and a big part of our campaign was about uh, quality of life in the city. And if you want more quality of life in the city, then the public space is essential because that's where as soon as you get out of the house, you're in a public space and it should feel as your home because most people don't have a garden, don't have a terrace. So the public space should feel like being at home. People should be able to meet one another. It should be nice. It should be safe. It should be welcoming. It should be healthy. So a lot of our campaign was about that. And if you look at that, then there's mobility is not... The goal, it's not about how do we transport people from point A to point B or, or goods from A to B. It is part of it, but it's a, a tool. It's a, a means to get to this more livable city, this more um, yeah, more quality of life in the city. Because if we start moving around differently, 
instead of all in these individual cars, if we start moving around more in public transport or move or walk more or cycle more, it's good for our health, it's good for your your well-being even, but it's also good for the city. It will make space available to do other things. And that's the main issue. 70% of our public space for the moment is about car use, parking spaces or car lanes. And so if we oh. change the shift, we can win a lot. We can win. Um, we can put trees, we can put bicycle lanes or, or bus lanes or terraces for the, the, the cafes and the bars. We're very known for our beer as well. But so we can win a lot of space. And so that was our campaign. And so after the election, of course, mobility was, yeah, it was something that we really wanted to tackle. So we, um, we really fought for it. So it was for us important to become um, responsible for mobility because we knew what we could deliver um, towards our promises we made. So for me, it was a good thing. I, I got what I wanted to, to say uh, it's in that way, but it was it's a crucial competence to, to improve quality of life in Brussels. And so for us, it was the, the goal of the elections. All right. So we have Belgian chocolate, Belgian beer. I heard <laughs> you work that in. And then now we have Belgian imagination how we reimagine the way our cities should be. What changed in your view? You know, visiting Europe for many years now, there's been traffic, whether it's Paris or London or Rome, um, Brussels, the same. So in your view, what's going on that people are reimagining cities and saying, we don't want 70% of our real estate dedicated to cars anymore? In Brussels, it was a picnic. About 10 years ago, in the heart of the city, there was a citizen's action picnicking. It's called Picnic the Street. So they went and they sit in front of the books, which is a very emblematic building. It's the heart of the city center. And we had a two times two car lanes. So we had four car lanes crossing the heart of the city. So it was really not nice to be there. It was... It was not a good place in the city and it was the heart of the city. So people said, we need to change it. So they start picnicking on the street and blocking the traffic. It was on a Sunday. It was nice. It was families, children. So it was a very positive action that came from citizens. It was not a political action. And of course, after certain time, it became really popular. So every Sunday, more people were picnicking. And so politics had to follow. And so at certain moments, they said, okay, we'll will ban the traffic on that part. And that's the beginning of a process that ended up in the biggest pedestrian area in Europe. So the, the Pietone, the, the pedestrian area in Brussels, is has has its origins in a citizen's action. And I think that's something that has awakened something in Brussels that we that citizens say we don't have to accept that our city is designed to host cars coming in and going out. It's it's okay to reclaim our city. It's okay to ask that I can live here, that I can have children going to school with all safety without fear of them getting stuck by a car or getting um, bad lungs because of the pollution. So it, it's it's sometimes it somehow made the beginning of the shift, and I think that's the the origin of what we're seeing for the moment. So there's a lot of protests that went on. So that part of the city became a pedestrian area, but we have a lot of other parts in the city that need to change. Not everything needs to be a pedestrian area, but we need to have another balance between car use and other modes uh, in our city we will always have cars but just make sure that there's this modal shift so we really can have a difference um in brussels and so there's a lot of action a lot of citizens movements about air pollution about road security so it, it, it it's it stayed on topic and so that's the bit of wave on which the green party got elected because green parties are known to be um, putting a lot of attention on mobility on air quality road security so that's the yeah, I think the origin of what we're doing now. It, it sounds very grassroots. And anytime you have a grassroots movement, of course, you have the entrenched 
interests that would like to move more slowly. I think Roman recently saw you give a talk where you described encountering resistance here and there. Um, Roman, could you share with us a little bit what that's about? Yeah, yeah, thank, yeah, thanks, Michael. Yeah, okay. One of the one of our first encounters was when you reported on one of the webinars, like. Uh, uh, introducing the 30 uh, kilometers per hour speed limit, which is uh, for our audience in the United States, roughly 20 miles per hour uh, speed limit, that there was a huge, uh, or not huge, but there was a certain pushback at the beginning. And I really love the way you frame it afterwards, because this is what happens in every city. But what I remember from your talk was when you make a small shift in the way you ask your citizens, whether general speed limit or are you asking about their own street? And that made it all the change. Can you can you recall that one? So it's it's true. One of the one of the measurements we took about road security is reducing the speed because we know that even if speed is not always the cause of an accident, it's often a factor that makes the impact worse. So if you reduce speed, there will be less accidents and the impact of accidents will be less. So in, in terms of road security, it's an in, uh, important thing. So in Brussels, the general rule is, and in the whole of the country of Belgium, it was 50 an hour. Um, I think it's, I, I cannot say it in miles, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but it used to be right. 50 and so uh, the exception was 30. And we say, let's shift it around and make it 30, so 20 miles an hour as a general and then um, the exception can be 50 or 70, but that's the exception. You, as a government, you need to um, uh, explain why you do it. So it was a shift in, in mentality, but also a shift in reality, of course, in the roads of Brussels where everybody needs to go slower. So um, although it was a question that is supported by parts of the population, it was a huge protest. So the moment we put it in place, we, we had worked on it for one year and a half to implement it, but we had a lot of campaign and, and information about it, but it's on the moment you put it in place, people are like, what's happening? And so there's a lot of reaction, a lot of protest. It was like Brussels would explode and would never anybody be able to come to Brussels. It was really um, a big fuss. Um, but we said, no, well, we'll, we'll tell us what your problem is and then we'll evaluate on it. So for example, the taxis, they said, we'll have half of the clients because it take us two times more time to get in rest. Okay, we'll monitor the time that you travel and we'll see how it gets. So, a lot of that was taken into the evaluation. Um, but one aspect was which route road to put in what uh, limit. And so we did a, um, an enquête and um, are they for or against this measurement? And then most people were against the idea, I have to admit it. But we also asked the question differently. So in some, in one of the neighborhoods, we said, okay, we'll change the question. And I made an agreement with the local uh, mayor, so the local responsible. So in Brussels, you have levels of power. So the local responsible, he didn't want to go to 30, said, let's keep it at 50. I don't want it. So I made an agreement, say, okay, we'll question the population in this neighborhood. And if they decide one way or another, we'll, we'll respect the decision. So we put a question, but then the question was not, are you before or uh, are you do you, are, do you agree that it's a whole of the region of Brussels? It's only in your neighborhoods. What do you want in your street, in your neighborhoods? And then 70% of the people said, we want low, slower traffic. We want low traffic. We want more road security. So 75% asked to go to this 30 um, kilometer an hour. And that's important because then we showed it's like what you want in your neighborhoods. That's more road security for your children, for your neighbors, for your parents. Everyone wants that. And Brussels is just a collection of neighborhoods. And so what you want for your neighborhood counts for the other neighborhoods as well. And that's why we make the general rule. And that's important because then you see that what people want from them is often something that can be applied. But if you ask them too high level, it was like, no, no, we don't want it. 
And we see that a lot. There's a lot of, um, we're putting a lot of measurements in place and every time there's a lot of protests, but we see that if you really go to what people want in Brussels, better life quality, um, more um, road security, those are things that everybody relates to. Those are goals that are very commonly shared. And so that's important to always turn back on those on those goals. And even if for every bicycle we put in place, there's a protest. But if we go back to the goals and say, this is why we're doing it, people agree on the goals. Not always the means to, but that's that's an important aspect in, in communicating. I love the way you, you really give tools and understanding that shifting from a global question to a really local question of the neighborhood completely can change the perspective and open up the imagination. Like, really, I want it in my own street. Yes. Uh, you mentioned the re some resistance to change. I'm reminded of Mark Twain. I think he said, hey, I'm all for a better future. It's just that I don't like to change. <laughs> yeah, and climate change as well. If you ask people, everybody wants to do something on climate change, but as, as soon as it touches on you, it's an impact. And so what we're always trying to show is how it's a win-win. If we put more trees in our city... That's good for climate change, but it's also good for quality of, of life. If you have a little green area in your neighborhood, it's nice to take a walk in. So having more green in the city will make sure that in the summer when it's hot, that there's the heat doesn't go up, that you have that the, the, the water can can go away so you don't have floods. So it's it's a win-win. If we do something for climate, it will actually be also good for us. And that's important that if we change public space, that we show that. It's just not it's even for the car users, I always say it's like for a car user, I, some people need their car. I really can understand it. There's just a part of people who do have an alternative mm. and can be seduced to use it. But even to them, I say it will be better for you if, you if we put a bicycle lane in place. All the people that are on those bicycle lanes, all the cyclists, they're not before or behind you in a traffic jam. They're not stealing away the last parking spot to, to, to park your car. So actually, these are your allies. If you see a cyclist as a car driver, it's your ally because it's better that's in, that he or she is on a bike and he's in front of you uh, blocking your road. And I think that's important to say that it, we can all win if we put in place an ambitious mobility point. There's that's still a lot of protests. Not everybody is applauding. What about your own personal evolution with regards to getting around? So when you're the younger self, were you driving a car and then there was a moment in time when you said, no more cars, I'm going to a bike or... I have to admit it was quite old for Belgium to get my driving license. I was uh -huh. 30, 32 or something. So what? it Yes, yes, yes. I... <laughs> well, wait, that was last year or what? No, well, it was... Uh... I'm 42 now, so it's it's been 10 years now. So it took me a, a while. So I we did have a car, but my husband uh, drove it, but we didn't use it a lot. We use a lot of tra public transport. What kind so of even, car? Well, it's it's uh, it, it changes for the moment. Wow. It's a, a BMW that we have, but it's the the car. With, so it's it's it changes, but we we rarely use it. Um, it's to go on a holiday and weekends and or to go shopping. Um, so for me, I think um, I always had this use of multimodality and I always used several modes. I never identified as I'm a walker or I'm a train user or I'm a car user. I, I always used a bit of a mix. And I think that's where we can win because if somebody uses a car three times a week, if they two times a week, one, one day they work at home and the other day they come by bike, it's we, are, we already win for 20%. So we can win a lot by changing a bit. You don't have to change all the way. You don't have to um, promise that you will never ride a car anymore. No, it's okay to use it once in a while, but just when you can, if it's only to go to the bakery shop at one kilometer walk, it's good for your health. It's good for the city. You'll perhaps meet your neighbors. So enjoy the little walk and, and 
take those little gains that are possible. And if we, if everybody does that, we already went 20%. We don't have traffic jams anymore. So we can, we can, um, spend a lot. Um, so I think for me, it's more, it's always been about its quality of life. I, I chose to live in this city. I choose to be there. I love my city, but I see the potential that's not being used. I see all the possibilities we have. If you're walking through the street and you see we, we could do this or that with this street. We can put in some little pocket parks. We can put in playgrounds. You see the potential, and I really want to bring that out and, and make sure that we put it in place. Mm. Well, I, I see that you're, it's late in Brussels already today, and you're still at the office working hard for the people of Belgium for, in Brussels. Um, how far is your home from the office, and how do you get there and back? I live really nearby, so it's, I think, three kilometers. Uh, so I take my bike and takes me 10 15 minutes so and for me the bike is the fastest way if i i can take the the metro the subway it's about the same time but i prefer to do a little uh little sport coming and going to work it makes your tears your head and, and makes me a better mood whenever i'm a bike after half an hour in better mood so for me it's easy it's 15 minutes uh, and i go by bike and year round so we're late in november northern europe must get a little bit cold that's not an issue you put on gloves, you uh-huh. buy uh, warmer clothes and you put on clothes. And it's it's cold also if you walk. It's also cold also if you take a bus. So if you cycle, you move a bit. So you, you heat up uh, as well. But you can put on decent clothes and then the weather is never weak. Can I ask what the brand is? Because I'm in the market for a bike and I don't know where to start. So is it a Belgian brand or what kind of bike do you have? I have a German bike. It's Patria, but it's really not a known um, brand, I think, but it's really decent. So you can put a lot of luggage on it because we, we use, we also take it to go on a holiday with the children and we put all the clothes in it. And so it's, it's heavy duty bike. So it's, um, you won't win um, a speed, um, uh, the speed race, you won't win it, but it's, it's decent. The, the, you won't get a flat tire. You, you can cross every bump. And so that's, um, it's Patria. But actually you, you enjoy it. That, that's the most important thing. Yeah. I saw you on swap feeds uh, on several pictures, I mm. think on, uh, as well, yeah, which is like guess, a, a business, yeah. business bike, right? So <laughs> many, many of us are curious to get a feel for the street scene today, three years later, since your inauguration in 2019 to 2022, we stepped into a street on downtown in downtown Brussels. What does that look like in terms of mix of walkers, bikers, cars. Still very car oriented. In in three years, you start to make shifts. It's not like, it's not a total revolution, of course, but we're starting to shift. So the number of cyclists, for example, has doubled. So in in those three years, we've managed to double the cyclists, which is good because Brussels was really a city where people were not cycling. It's something that you didn't do in Brussels. It was a few people who did it, but and now it's becoming more regular. We see also that the profile of Who's cycling? It used to be a white male, middle class, going to work profile. And we see it's diversifying. There's more women on the bike, more elderly people. So we see that the profile of people riding the bike is also slowly being more um, more general, which means that it's becoming an option. It's, becoming, it's not just a way of living, because for some people it's really a way of living, but it's becoming a way of transporting yourself. And um, that's really a shift that we're noticing, and we need to continue, of course, um, by doing that. The walking has been quite stable. It's difficult to say because in those three years, we had two years of COVID, which made a huge difference, of course, in that time. 
I didn't, everybody worked at home. So it was difficult. It's difficult to really compare. But we saw during COVID that people started walking more, which is good. Um, and we, we do promotion to, to people say, well, continue walking. It's good for your health. It's good for the city. Um, so we do see a shift. Car use is being quite stable, so we don't manage to reduce the traffic jams um, yet. We try to, but it's still work in progress. And public transport, it's before COVID and after COVID, it was a huge loss of, of clientele. So we see now that we're getting back with our public transport to pre-COVID times. And Brussels has a good public transport, and that's something we're proud of. Everything can be better. It's a good public transport in general in Brussels. But there was a lot of people who didn't want to use it anymore and took time to to win back all the people on the public transport. Yeah, that's that's remarkable. I remember early days of COVID, people thought this is the end of public transport. No one will ever want to step back onto a train or a, a bus because of the because of COVID. But we've seen amazing resilience and recovery there um, in a short short space of time. Yes, and also because it's it was it's true. It's a place where many people come together so an, an air oriented virus like covid is it is uh, something you take care of there was so much effort put in place to clean all the vehicles to open up to air and to make sure that you're all in you're only in there for a short time the doors open at every stop so it's actually there's been studies being done and it's this there was a high risk like going to crowded places and everything so it's not without a risk but there was Compared to other riskful situations, there was a lot of attention to public transport. So that's they had an image problem. But I think it's it's been it just everywhere the same. And so we do did have um, campaigns and, and showing how we're cleaning everything and and how it's working. But it's true, it was and it's still a work in progress to convince people to use public transport. Do you have or does Brussels have any policy specific to powertrains? So diesel versus gasoline versus electric. We, the whole of the region of Brussels is a low emission zone. So it means that to get into with a car into Brussels in the region of Brussels, that there are some um, standards. So now it's Euro 4. So it means that all cars who are the older cars and more polluting cars are not allowed anymore. If you drive with that car, you get, you can get a fine. Um, and there's a calendar for it. So it's, uh, it's with phases. It's not. For one moment, everything. So it's uh, it's been going on for a few years now, and we do see the positive impact on air quality since we've implemented. So every three years, something like that, there's a new phase about cars who are getting refused in in traffic, and we see that every time air quality improves. So it is really a central measurement, and it's not a popular one because air quality is is a difficult topic to explain. But air quality is killing people. It's the our lungs, the, the lungs of children who live close to a highway or an important road, they're less developed than, than other children. So it impacts, we lose lives, we lose people who die earlier because of it, a lot of costs also. It costs a lot on on, on, um, on health insurances and everything. So it is a silent killer, it's an important killer. So it's not very popular to tackle, but we do have this low emission zone. We see the positive impact. And so by uh, 20. So we just had a new phase for Eurofour, and so in 25, there's a new range of cars that are taking out of traffic, and so bit by bit, we're going to um, a city where only clean cars can still enter, and no um, diesel or gas cars will be allowed, only electrical ones or other non-polluting cars. Now, I noticed from Paris to Copenhagen, and from Stockholm to Brussels, it's women who are at the forefront of this revolution, this taking back the cities, and making them more human-centric. 
So is that just coincidence or is there a secret master plan we should know about? I think um, it does make a difference. I, I, when I, the, the, the world of transport is very masculine. So most of the meetings I'm in, I'm the only woman or one or two other women. So it is a very <laughs> male-oriented. Well, let's, let's take our audience in, in, in the picture. It's not only you, Elke, in Brussels, but it's Anne Hidalgo in, in Paris. It's Anni Sinemaki in Helsinki, Hada Kolonte recently in, in, in Barcelona, and many others, many others. Uh, my question would be, are you in touch somehow, frequently, infrequently? Because you are still more outliers than a norm. Changing your cities, in your positions, focused on mobility, that is changing the quality of life in the cities. So how, is, how does this... And no pun intended, please. How does this uh, this female mafia, how does it work? <laughs> We don't have a secret handshake, <laughs> but there are some international meetings, especially in Europe. It's, it's, it's not so big, so it's easy. We have trains crossing the, the continent. So in, in December, for example, we're hosting in Brussels an international meeting on people in mobility. And then there's men and women and we talk, but there's often uh, a women uh women discussion so where we talk about being a woman in politics what does it mean or women in transport so we do have um sometimes meetings where we share experiences and that's very enriching um because there's still a lot of yeah, politics is really the, the culture of politics is male oriented there's a lot of dynamics that's that are gendered and and so we, we do talk about it we learn from one another but there's no secret um mafia controlling everything i wish we would but that's not that uh, it's more sharing and and meeting up and it's always interesting but also for, for paris it's, it's an hidalgo but david Belliard, which is the male uh, responsible it's, he's a man but he's responsible for uh, mobility as well so he's also behind it so it's often um a mixed um image but mm. we do meet up among women oh that's awesome where you look where you and your team where do you look for inspiration in your in your changes that you're going through in in, in brussels and trying to move your beautiful city forwards i think there's some cities that are really ahead so in in europe it's like copenhagen and amsterdam they're really known to be a good example for mobility so these are cities that are decades in, in front of us so that's important for the inspiration because that's we can get there amsterdam was not always like it is today. It's also because of political choices being made in the 70s and the 80s with a lot of protests at the time as well. So they did a shift as well. And so we know what to, that we can get there. Um, and so that's for the real, the, the, the bigger picture for the inspiration. But if we're talking about how to implement it now, for us, Paris is really important because Paris is not so far and the, the culture of Brussels and Paris are very comparable. So mm -hmm. I often use this phrase, yes, but they're doing it as well in Paris. And then it's like, okay, now we can do it as well in Brussels. So it's it's, <laughs> it's an important example. Paris is a good way of selling things to my, my my political colleagues. I think London as well is is moving around Berlin. So we see that most capitals in Europe are in the same dynamic. So it's not just Brussels. Mm. Many capitals are now making this shift and, and going to a more people-oriented city instead of a car-oriented city. Um, and so that's a shift we see everywhere, but I think Amsterdam and Copenhagen, they, they were smart mm, a few mm, decades mm. ago. What do, what do you say, Alke, when, uh, when, the, when there is a pushback, like we are not the Amsterdam or we are not the Copenhagen? It's different. It's, it's more hilly in, in, in Brussels, uh, rains more often. Do you have a, I believe you have already have a, a tailor-made uh, answer to this pushback. 
it's Brussels is always specific and, and every city is different, but the choices that we make, we can make the same choices. And it's really, it is really about if we have 10 meters in a street, how do you use those 10 meters? If you have a square, what do you do with the square? It's all about choices and making choices on how to use the available space. You cannot push away the houses, so you need to work with the available space. And so these conflicts are every time in every city you encounter them and you need to listen to it. It's not, you cannot put in place a politic without your population. And as I said, there's a lot of grassroots movements asking for this, but there's also a lot of protests, also a lot of grassroots protests. So it is a very conflictual uh, situation for the moment. Um, also mobility touches at everybody on the everyday basis. So it's not something that's in the margin. So it touches everybody. So everybody is talking about it, is feeling it, is seeing the difference. So that's something that creates a lot of debate, a lot of friction as well. So it is um, a constant exercise on how to mm. communicate, how to make sure that people feel involved, that they can express their concerns. And so that's a constant process, but um, we need to continue or, or at least I want to continue. <laughs> if, if you would be so kind, Elke, and summarize a little bit for our audience, well, your plan, if I recall correctly, is called Good Move, which is which is a, a tailor-made uh, good uh, good name. Um, but if what, what is what is the essence? What is inside? You described this is a mean to an end, which is a livable and lovable city, uh, Brussels in your case. But what are one of the tools in that toolbox? And maybe what are some of the lessons? Uh, for other mayors that are listening to us and people living in other cities that are listening to our podcast and, and want to say, okay, well, Brussels can do it. Uh, we can do it as well. If Brussels can do it, any city can do it. That's, that's for sure. <laughs> but um, it is, as you said, it's a, it's, it's actually a toolbox. So the, the philosophy, as you, you explained, is about make a livable city. So that's the philosophy of the plan. We have 50 measurements in it. So the first, the, the first one was reducing the speed limit. So going 30 an hour is really important. Um, because it's good for the speed, for road security, but it's also good for the noise. We have a lot of noise in cities. So. Driving slow. Already have, the noise you already have one. You have already one year experience, if 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 I'm correct. One with, year with and a half. Thirty kilometers. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes, we see on the streets we reduced the speed limit. So we did. We did. Um, we monitored it, and we saw that there in the streets we reduced the speed limit from fifty to thirty. The sound pollution also diminished by a factor of two. It was two times less sound pollution. So it has a huge impact on. Um, on noise pollution and on, on noise in a city, which is one of the biggest stress factors for people. It's underestimated how important noise is for our health, for our mental health, also physical health. So we do um, we do see a, a, a drop in the sound, in the noise. Um, we also have less accidents. We have less um, people dying in traffic. Um, so we do see the advantages of putting it in place. So that was a really important measurement. Then something else is offering infrastructure. If you ask people, why don't you cycle? Why don't you walk in Brussels? The answer is often, I'm afraid to. I'm afraid to walk. I'm afraid to cycle. So offering decent infrastructure is one of the other central elements. So making sure that the, the 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 sidewalks where people walk are renovated, that they're clean, that they're nice to walk on is one of the aspects. Putting bicycle lanes in place is one aspect, and we're trying to um, 
have a, a huge speed on, on putting those bicycle lanes in place because it's really the answer. You see, every time we put a bicycle lane in place, we do have a lot of protests, but we also see that it's used. It, it attracts cyclists and it's a crucial factor in diversifying the profile of people cycling because if you see for who it's an obstacle, it's more for women, it's more for for um, less sportive people. This infrastructure is more of a, an, an important aspect to to get convinced to to cycle more so. Putting in, in place um, bicycle lanes is also a part of the program. Public transport, I said we have a good public transport. We're proud of it, but it can be better. So we're investing a sixth of our, one sixth of our budget on the regional level goes to public transport, which is a lot. So having more buses, more trams, more metro, that's also part of the mobility plan. And then we have uh, a part of circulation plans. I think that's the most difficult one, and that's the one we're putting in place now. So it's the most, um, for the moment, it's where the debate is is uh, focused on. Uh, people kind of forgot that they're angry about 30 an hour. It's accepted. <laughs> Bicycle lanes, it's not such people accept it. So you see after always a year after we put in place that there's certain acceptance coming on. So now it's the circulation plans. And what's the idea? The idea of a circulation plan is that instead of people using ways to go around all of the, the city, use ways. Um, so it's it's having traffic in every little street, looking for the fastest way. And instead of having that, we want to canalize the traffic to the main access. So if you need to be in Brussels, you're very welcome. If you need to be in a certain neighborhood, you can get there. If you live there, you can get out, you can get in. But if you don't need to be in that specific neighborhood, we canalize the traffic to the main access. And to do so, you really need to change the the, the courses of, of the street. So you make this little, um, um, listen, oh, how is the English? Round, yeah, not roundabouts, but it's, yeah. Circle, a circuit. Yeah, or, circle, yeah. circle. So if you get into the neighborhood to get out, you come at the same place. So it's not attractive to, if you just want to skip a red light, well, you end up and you go in the neighborhood, you end up at the same point. So you won't win anything. So in that way, everybody can get in. You can get home, you can visit your grandmother, you can go to your favorite restaurant by car, you still can get there. But just driving through, we make sure it's not attractive attractive, and it stay on the, the main line. So that's one of the aspects. Um, there are other cities who did it before, Ghent in Belgium, but also um, many other cities have shown the impact of that. And um, that's one of the things we're putting in place for mm. the moment. Okay, you yeah, so, something so. <laughs> important a moment ago about the fear, like there's a fear factor. People are afraid to walk or, or bike. And I know that resonates with me. For example, just here in San Diego, we have bike lanes, but at the same time, we have cars flying by at 60, 70 miles an hour. That's normal. So given your experience in the car and in, on the bike, if you're going to give one message as a bicyclist to drivers, what would that be? Just so that there isn't an antagonism or a feeling of nuisance on either, either side. How do we bridge that gap? What would your message be to drivers flying by at 60, 70 miles an hour? Well, to reduce the speed because <laughs> they can't get the time if they go by 60 or 70 an hour. But no, it's also about you all, everybody who gets out of the car becomes pedestrian. And so at that point, they experience the importance of having a safe environment. And mm -hmm. also person on the bike can be your your child or can be your sister or your father. So it, it is a human being on this bike and they are, if you hit them, it's, it's likely them who will get into the hospital and not you. So be conscious about the impact. You're driving a, a heavy weight, fast vehicle. So it means that you have an impact. So be conscious about that you can be at risk and that you need to be really uh, attentive. And although cyclists are supposed to drive on the bicycle lanes and everything, you never know that somebody needs to make a movement so make sure that you can react and that's important by driving slower then 
you can see more. Your angle of vision is is, is wider, but you can also react uh, to more. You can anticipate more. If you have to put on your brakes, you'll you'll stop faster. So you will you will not be as fast in in hitting somebody. Nobody wants to drive some. Nobody wants to hit somebody. Nobody. That's why no it's had an accident. And it, it, that's it, something that I got from return for car users. When we put a bicycle lane, there's a lot of protests, but sometimes people write to me and say, I'm happy with this bicycle lane as a car user because before the cyclists were before me and I didn't see them coming. And it gives me, as a car user, it, it ensures me as well because the cyclist is on a dedicated space and has his dedicated space. And I'm more at ease in my car because I, I'm not afraid that it will pop up everywhere. So it is. it can be a win-win, although it's... It often needs to be shown and proven. Right. It's, it's as if we've been in a car culture so long that anything on the road that's not a car is an annoyance. And we forget those are human beings just like us. So that's, that's a breakthrough that needs to happen. For example, my kids, I'd love to send them up to the park or to go to school on their bike. But boy, those cars come barreling through and it's, it's frightening. Just a split second, they're looking down at a text, bang, done, game over. So... And that's what we want. I always say, I want to create a city where a, a, a young child of 12 years old, because that's the age when you can move around in traffic, can walk, cycle, use public transport alone to go to school without parents being afraid of the life of their children. And that's where we need to get that it's normal to let your child walk alone to school, because now we see a lot of people drive their children to school because they're afraid of traffic. But that's exactly a circle that never stops because that makes the, the school environment uh, more dangerous. So it's like really putting those steps back and, and making, creating this safe environment for children and, and making sure that as a parent in the city, you're not constantly afraid for the life of your child when you let them get around. Speaking of favorites, Elke, what is your favorite city? I do like Brussels, as, but can I pick my own city? Because it, I, I chose to live in, I, I didn't grow up in Brussels. So when I was 18, I became a little, then I could choose where I went live so when i was 18 i took my stuff and i went to brussels and i came living here because it's for belgium is the biggest city it's the only metropole we have but also it's it's the heart of europe it's it's a very international city and what i do love about my city is that it's it's very open the the moment you move to brussels you're you become a citizen of brussels you're you're Brusselaar from the moment you move to brussels so you don't need to be there for three generations or so it's a very open mentality there's a lot of people entering the country through brussels a lot of international people coming here for a small part of the for a few years so it's it's a very open society and that's what i always that's always attracted me to to brussels and that's why i will never i think hmm. You mentioned Elka several times, like this this change management that like we are doing right now in, in in Brussels. It's sometimes an up up uh, hill battle. Um, uh, can you maybe recall one or two really joyful moments that reassured you? Like, yes, this is a still a way to go. Not only based on these moments, I believe you're moving forward, but still these moments of joy that uh, that give you a sense of meaning. For me, it was Christmas. Uh, last year, then we got the figures that you just mentioned about the deaths on our roads. And we had six um, casualties less on our roads than the year before. Mm -hmm. And it's like, these are six people celebrating Christmas this week. And so for me, that was really a moment. Okay, this is why I do it. This is why I take this protest. It's, it's about saving lives. And sometimes you get data and data are really anonymous, but there's every time a life behind it, a person, a family. And so that's was for me one of the crucial um, 
moments in in the last years. That's that's when you know why you're doing it. Okay, I have one final question for you, Elka. How soon will you be able to move here to San Diego? We need you. Well, <laughs> I'm not finished with Brussels yet. We need to transform it's... in a huge way. I mean, we have freeways and more freeways and big roads and. But I have to admit, in Brussels, we still have so much work to do because it's it's nice to bring some change. But you asked before, how, how does the street look? In the street, you still see a lot of cars. There's still a lot of air pollution. So it is, there is, people are accepting some steps, but we have a lot of protests. So it's, it's, it's work in progress. If you come to Brussels, you'll see it's not heaven on, on earth. It's, it's, it is still a big city with a car-oriented culture, but we're shifting, we're getting there. And uh, I think everywhere in the world, just people who want to do this change can bring this change. But it's, uh, and I think in America, the car-oriented culture is even more developed than in, in, in Europe. And even we have a very car-oriented culture, but it's, it, it's, it begins there. It's becoming multimodal. A car is not, in, in, in Dutch, we have this expression, a car is your freedom. And it's something really important, having a driving license at your 18. That's the way to get freedom. And, and your car is your freedom. You can get anywhere, anytime that you want. But if you look at the reality, your car is being stuck in a traffic jam. It's costing you a lot of money. It's costing you, you're in a bad mood when you get out, when you arrive at work. Parking. In bad moods. And so it's not it's, real yeah. freedom is being able to get around any time of the day with any mode you want to take yeah. without being dependent on the car. So this car dependency for me is Depending on a car, it's not freedom. It's the opposite of freedom. It's not depending on a car. That's the real freedom. And we need to offer our citizens this freedom of choice, this freedom of, of moving around. Perfect. Perfect. Yes. Uh, maybe in the 1950s in America, it was the symbol of freedom because there were a few cars on the road. and There's huge roads going everywhere. Today, different story. And I think that's what you're talking about. Exactly. Elka, thank you very much for your time. Learned a ton from you. So inspirational, not only for... European cities, but for cities worldwide in Asia and the United States, so much to learn. And my number one takeaway is I love the way you put it, human-centric. This is not necessarily, oh, we don't like cars. It's just like, okay, what makes sense for human beings? How do we enhance the quality of our lives in all aspects, not just speed from point A to point B? So keep going. You're doing amazing work. Really appreciate you taking time to join us today on the podcast. And I hope to have an opportunity to visit you in Brussels along with Roman. I'm happy to tour you around and thank you very much for inviting me and giving me the platform to uh, to explain our politics and uh, I hope it can um, we can learn from one another. That's the best way to go to move around. Okay, thank you, thank you and your team uh, for leading the way in uh, across the European cities as well. I think the the living examples of of you and your colleagues in other cities are so important for uh, mayors that um, maybe haven't started their path yet towards more attractive and livable cities. And um, as you said, maybe Paris is a good excuse in your discussions. And I believe that uh, some of our listeners and audience across the globe may now feel uh, encouraged to say, oh, if Brussels, then why not we? Okay, fantastic. Thank you again, Elka. And uh, very much appreciate your time. A lot of pleasure. And I hope we can meet in uh, real life someday. Yeah. Let's do it. Would be awesome. Thank you very much. Thank you, Maria, as well, and, and all the team. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. Probably the most important thing I learned from Elka is how much reducing speed 
can reduce the frequency of accidents and their severity. So let's be honest. People like to drive fast. I like to drive fast. But the cost of lives lost is madness. Last year, in the United States alone, 43,000 people died from road fatalities. Well, that's unacceptable. Elka and other women leaders are inspiring us to reimagine how we want to get around town safely, quietly, smoothly, smartly. We always have the option to be less dumb if we choose to. And before I go, I would like to say a special thank you to my wingman, Roman Malishka, my good buddy in Prague, who charmed Elka into joining us for this conversation. Thank you all for listening. This is the Driving With Done podcast. Thank you for listening to Driving With Done. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. And to reach Michael Dunn, go to zozogo.com. Tak to byla Elke van den Brandt, ministrině pro mobilitu bruselské metropole. Speciální epizoda podcastu Urbancast, kde mimo jiné, to je potřeba taky ještě připomenout, partnery i téhle epizody je největší flotila sdílených kol v České republice jezdící pod značkou Nextbike. Kola dneska v bezmála 30 městech napříč celou Českou republikou. A stejně tak je partnerem dnešní epizody nadace Tipsport, která podporuje Dobré žití, dobrá města, také v celé České republice, ať už je to výsadbou stromů, nebo znova podporou Nextbike ve formě milion a půl volných minut, které můžete s trochou štěstí vyhrát právě v aplikaci Nextbike. Tak možná, nevím jak tebe Kubo, ale mě v tomhle tom rozhovoru s Elke van den Brandt zaujaly dvě až tři jako nejvíc věci. Já samozřejmě její kariéru pozoruju dlouho a ty její kroky, ale kdybych měl někomu přiblížit, proč je tak důležitá a proč je tak inspirativní, tak za mě je to ta jasná schopnost artikulovat výhody toho, když se doprava ve městě odkloní od toho dominantního automobilového provozu v něco, kde se kombinuje více veřejná doprava, více je příjemné po tom městě chodit pěšky, lépe se tam jezdí na kole, No a když je potřeba, tak tam pořád ještě projedu tím autem, ale už ani nebudu tak dlouho poskakovat v nějakých kolonách. Nezaparkuju všude tak, jak v minulosti, ale tam, kde, tak zaparkuju, protože mezi tím řada jiných lidí v řadě jiných situací přestoupí z toho auta na něco jiného. Takže ta její schopnost tuhle tu vizi jako komunikovat jednoduchou řečí, srozumitelnou a s jasnými argumenty, tak to, to považuji za velmi důležité a přál bych všem městům a nabízel bych všem radním primátorkám a starostům, aby si z ní brali, brali vzor. Už jenom to třeba, jak jich dokázala velmi emotivně popsat, když jsem se jí ptal, jak vnímá největší přínos po prvním roce 30-kilometrové rychlosti v Bruselu, tak ta její schopnost neohromovat nějakými čísly, typu klesla nám nehodovost o 12% a zvýšila se plynulost dopravy, což je stejně fata morgána, chiméra, tak zlepšila se plynulost o tolik nebo o tolik, ale dokázala to říct lidsky, že si uvědomila před Vánoci, že díky tomuhle opatření si ke štědrovečernímu stolu v Bruselu sedlo šest lidí, kteří by tam statisticky o rok předtím chyběli. Takže buď můžu říct, že mi o šest lidí poklesla nějaká smrtelná nehodovost, anebo to dokážu takhle takhle emotivně jako zarámovat a zároveň lidsky přiblížit. Jo. Tak to považuji za velmi, velmi silné. Stejně tak považuji za velmi inspirativní, když Elke van den Brand říká, 
Brusel, my tady toho děláme hrozně moc, good move. Celý ten strategický plán je plán na dlouho dopředu a je dost možné, že ho bude i některého kapitoly realizovat někdo, kdo přijde po ní do té pozice. Ale od toho jsou velké plány, od toho jsou velké, velké vize a velké strategie. A spíš jednou v účinném období. Přesahují horizont třeba jednotlivce. A... Jo, jo, dobře, ale, ale i ona si to musí jako vybojovat. A ta schopnost a ochota přesto přemýšlet ve velkém a nikoliv jenom v tom malém je něco, co by mělo být velkou inspirací pro česká města. No a potom teda třetí moment, který, na který upozorňuji, taková jako mikrolekce z komunikace, tak ta je, kdy LK Vandenbrand popisovala, jak důležité je klást správnou otázku, když dělám participaci občanů na nějakých rozhodnutích. Jo. Konkrétně v tom rozhovoru, jenom se k tomu vrátím, zmiňovala, že když se obecně ptali občanů v Bruselu, zdali si ve městě přejí zavedení 30-kilometrové rychlosti a celkové sklidnění dopravy, tak odpovědi byly většinově nikoliv, ale stačilo udělat drobnou změnu v té otázce a sice přejete si, lomeno umíte si představit, že se sklidní doprava a zavede 30 km v hodině ve vaší ulici a najednou ten výsledek byl přesně opačný. Drtivá většina těch respondentů toho výzkumu říkala, no jasně, včera bylo pozdě. No a tenhle drobný detail, tohle pochopení, tenhle designové přemýšlení, možná nechtě zase jedním z přínosů tohohle z toho rozhovoru v rámci podcastu Urbancast pro všechny, kdo nás poslouchají, ať už sedí na radnici, nebo se zajímají o své město, jsou aktivními občany a chtějí nějakou změnu. Jak málo stačí někdy? Že i to vás bude zase čekat. Normankás bude nabitý, to je pravda. Díky tomu má své hrdé partnery, kterými jsou nadace Tip Sport a flotila sdílených kol Nextbike. To je pravda, takže je se na co těšit. No. Teď ještě najít ten čas na to poslouchání. Že? A my budeme moc rádi, když se o své zážitky z Urbancastu podělíte nejenom s námi, nejenom v hodnocení Apple Podcasts, ale zároveň i se svými přáteli, kamarády nebo i oponenty v nějakých vašich debatách. A zkrátka posílejte a sdílejte Urbancast, kde můžete, protože věříme, že jenom tak dokážeme tuhle republiku dát do pohybu a posunout tak trochu v moderní městské mobilitě do 21. století. Přesně tak. Tak jo, tak příště naslyšenou. Díky, Kubo. Taky.